This is the Truth Hurts Program. Well, good morning and welcome to the Truth Hurts Program for Friday, April 7th, 2023. On your Christian calendar, today is Good Friday, the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross some 2,023 years ago. So that's just a moment of reflection for you. And the news just keeps coming. News Nation reports the city of Los Angeles is now suing a news reporter and a police watchdog group. Everyone knows that there are bad cops out there. There are good cops out there as well. And public servants need to be monitored to make sure that they're not doing things illegally, immorally, unethically. And that's what police watchdog groups do. They monitor the activity of police to make sure they're not violating people's civil rights, targeting people, doing things untoward. But in Los Angeles, the city itself is now suing a journalist and a watchdog group because of the publication of Los Angeles Police Department officers' names, photos, and other information that are now available in a searchable online database. Before I go deep into this article, I understand people are entitled to privacy in the privacy of their own homes. But I also understand that public records laws, which open up for transparency, all matters of where your tax dollars are being spent is something that has to be balanced against the privacy of people. If you choose to work in a public sector job, if you choose to work in a situation where your pay comes from my tax dollars, I have the right under U.S. law to know how much you make, who you are, and what you do with the tax dollars that I am paying you in the form of your salary and benefits. Just prior to this lawsuit being filed against a journalist and a police watchdog group, the city of Los Angeles itself was sued by the Police Officers Union, which objects to the Watch the Watchers database, claiming it endangers officers. An attorney representing more than 300 cops in the lawsuit said, this presents a significant threat to the safety of the citizens of Los Angeles. Information for the database came from a public records request filed by Ben Camacho, a journalist, a reporter for the nonprofit outlet known as Knock LA. It provided that information to the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition, who created a database. The city filed suit against Mr. Camacho and the coalition, demanding that all information that they obtained legally and lawfully through the Freedom of Information Act, all photographs, all data, simply be returned to the city and all copies be destroyed. The coalition's Hamad Khan argued in response that safety is not the issue here. He said it's a matter of what the public is entitled to know about the taxpayer-funded agency and their employees. It goes back to the very essence of what information should be available to community members about public employees. The group Knock LA, K-N-O-C-K-L-A, describes the lawsuit as an irresponsible, ignorant action by Los Angeles City Attorney Heidi Feldstein Soto, 
Also listed in their commentary, Soto's actions are a clear intimidation tactic fueled by the Los Angeles Police Protective League. Feldstein Soto and the LAPPL fail to recognize the function of the California Public Records Act. This law grants the public access to internal documents, videos, photos, and other media possessed by public agencies. Camacho had requested photos of the Los Angeles Police Department officers under this law, and the city itself granted the request. But now city leaders are pissed. The mayor and the police chief are calling the release of the information unacceptable. They say we erred in the sense that there's photographs in there that should not have been in there. But now that ship has sailed. Bottom line, my friends, is the Freedom of Information Law and the California Public Records Act mandates that this information be made available to the public. If you've got something to hide and you don't want your name and photograph out there, you probably shouldn't work in the public sector. By now, I'm sure you heard that the state of Tennessee is now being called racist because they expelled two lawmakers over their participation in a gun violence protest. Two Democratic state lawmakers have been ousted from the Republican-controlled Tennessee State House of Representatives. The lawmakers face separate expulsion hearings for violating the chamber's rules of decorum when they participated in a gun control protest bringing megaphones into the state capitol. It's like I said about Angel Reese, the LSU player. Act like you deserve to be there. Don't act like an uncivilized animal. Three state representatives, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson and Gloria Johnson faced separate expulsion hearings yesterday for allegedly violating the chamber's rules of decorum when they participated in the gun control protest. At one point during the protest, the three of them stood in the well of the House chambers leading chants with a megaphone. The demonstration came in the wake of the deadly Covenant school shooting in Nashville back on March 27th, where a former student, a transgender mentally ill woman who thought she was a man, came into the school and shot three children and three adults. Why aren't they protesting against the transgender mentally ill? Tennessee Republican representatives Bud Halsey, Gino Bolso, and Andrew Farmer sponsored the expulsion resolutions, arguing that the three Democratic lawmakers did knowingly and intentionally bring disorder and dishonor to the House of Representatives through their individual and collective actions. Jones was the first lawmaker expelled when the House members voted to adopt House of Representatives Resolution 65, called that resolution a spectacle and a lynch mob assembled to not lynch me, but our democratic process. During his 20-minute opening statement, Jones said, we call for you all to ban assault weapons and you respond with a assault on democracy. Following the adoption of the expulsion resolution, Jones said his ouster sets a precedent that any member who voices dissent or opposition can be expelled from the legislative body. No, Mr. Jones. If you are a House of Representatives member, you should know the rules of order, Robert's rules of order. You should know about decorum, 
about speaking when you are recognized to speak and not act like an animal and participate with a megaphone as if you're some kind of televangelist out there screaming and disrupting the orderly House of Representatives proceedings. What did they say when people came in and interrupted the January 6th certification of President Biden's win? They called that insurrection. They called that sedition. They said those people were disturbing the peace. They said those people were disorderly. But when you act disorderly, you think it's okay? You think you have the right to do exactly what you demonize and vilify the January 6th protesters from doing? Pearson sang power to the people and quoted from the Bible during his opening statement, calling the resolution to remove him uh, injustice against the first amendment. He said before he was expelled from the chamber on Thursday evening, quote, speaking up on behalf of the last, the lost, the least, those who have been left out, those who have been ignored, those who have been silent but refuse to be silent anymore. That does not deserve expulsion from this house. Listen, clown, you were disruptive. You did not follow the rules of decorum and order in that chamber. You do not deserve to be there. During her hearing, Ms. Johnson, the sole lawmaker to survive the expulsion resolutions, she denied allegations that she shouted from the well during the demonstration. Video shows otherwise. But she maintains that she did join the protest, breaching house decorum, and needed to stir good trouble. She said, my friends in school all called me Little Miss Law and Order because I'm a rule follower. And I know that rules somehow, sometimes have to be broken. And sometimes you have to get in good trouble. I may have broken a rule, but the words in this document are false. And I did what I was compelled to do based on speaking for the voters in my district who were begging me to bring this issue forward. Listen, folks, I don't like everything that comes out of any legislative body. I don't like a lot of things that come out. A lot of them are wrong and I disagree with them. And yes, there's a time, a place, and a manner in which to protest, to speak out, to redress your grievances against your government. But in the middle of a session of the House of Representatives, that is not the time, not the place, and certainly not the manner. This is yet another attempt by Democrats to remove our God-given, constitutionally affirmed right to protect ourselves, to keep and bear arms, to arm ourselves against the criminal element. What's amazing about this entire thing is the two members who were expelled were African American 13% hyphenated minorities, and their race is the race that commits the vast majority of shootings and gun-related death cases in our nation. Of course, gropey Joe Biden had to jump in there and put in his two cents from his feeble lips. They issued a statement from the White House that the move to oust those lawmakers was shocking, undemocratic, and without precedent. Let me stop you for a moment, Mr. Biden. There's nothing shocking. You guys are calling for the same type of thing against peaceful protesters in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Undemocratic? Wrong. There are rules in place, time, place, and manner restrictions upon when someone can protest. Without precedent? That is certainly a lie. 
The Democratic Party regularly interrupts proceedings, breaking the rules of decorum and the rules of order. Certainly is not unprecedented. And then the guy pulling Biden's strings, Barack Hussein Barry Sotero Obama, was asked to weigh in, although I don't understand why. He had nothing to do with it. He has nothing to do with the state of Tennessee. And as far as I'm concerned, all former presidents just need to go away. They don't need to be interfering in the current politics of a nation. But Barack Hussein Obama on Twitter Thursday night wrote, This nation was built on peaceful protest. No elected officials should lose their job simply for raising their voice, especially when they're doing it on behalf of our children. What happened to Tennessee is a latest example of a broader erosion of civility democratic norms. Silencing those who disagree with us is a sign of weakness, not strength, and it won't lead to progress. Hey, Barack, shut the f*** up. You heard me. Shut the f*** up. You are irrelevant. Since the Civil War, the Tennessee State House has voted twice to expel members. And here's where you know that this was a democratically written, progressive, liberal, woke article. It says, But the effort to expel the three Tennessee lawmakers is one of several recent moves by state legislatures to penalize lawmakers of underrepresented backgrounds taking a stand on progressive causes. They also mentioned that Oklahoma Republicans removed the state's only non-binary legislator from the House Committee after the lawmaker provided refuge to a transgender rights activist. Wah. Folks, it's getting out of hand. Rules of order are in place to keep order. Disorder, especially at our highest levels of governance, should not be allowed by members of the body for which that order was meant to maintain. Casey Mulligan and Stephen Moore teamed up to write the following article. Biden's Green War created this billions-dollar tax upon all of us. The recent OPEC-announced policy to cut oil production by 1.6 million barrels a day is yet another embarrassing indication that President Joe Biden's repeated pleas to Saudi Arabia to increase oil output have fallen upon deaf ears because they don't respect Joe Biden. They don't respect us. And since Joe Biden declared war on the domestic energy production sector, OPEC is laughing all the way to the bank. What is worse, that it has been Biden's anti-fossil fuels lie of climate change policies that have given OPEC new life to control world energy prices. Before Biden's policies, the U.S. had been the world's marginal producer, significantly offsetting OPEC production cuts with our own production increases. Our dynamic oil industry had sharply curtailed OPEC's influence over the world oil prices and the supply. But Biden waged war on American oil and gas, and that changed everything. U.S. domestic oil production in states like Alaska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Texas, Louisiana, West Virginia, well, they've been reduced by an average of 2.7 million barrels a day. That's a cumulative total, by the way, of over 2 billion barrels of oil since Joe Biden took office. To make matters worse, by taking U.S. oil and U.S. natural gas out of the world picture, OPEC is now emboldened to reach directly into your wallet by reducing its own production. Planning now to reduce 1.6 billion barrels from the market. 
That's 4.3 million barrels each day missing from the world's oil supply. Biden has become the best friend of OPEC nations. His disastrous policies here have caused the price of oil worldwide to increase, which directly helps finance the Russian war machine in Ukraine. Follow the money, my friends. I say it all the time. Did you hear about the dust up at the White House with Peter Ducey from Fox News arguing with John Kirby about who's going to get fired over the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan a year ago? Fox News White House reporter and our hero, Peter Ducey, threw down with John Kirby when he interrogated the White House spokesman over the newly released report on the U.S. withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. Take a listen to this exchange. It's well worth the two minutes and 44 seconds that I've devoted to it. Thanks, John. Who's gonna get fired over this? Peter, the purpose of the document that we're putting out today uh, is to sort of collate the chief reviews and findings of the agencies that did after action reviews. Um, uh, the, it, it's not, the, the purpose of it is not accountability. It's the purpose of it is military leaders. Purpose of it is to study like less and learn. That the intel was bad. So how can President Biden ever trust when they come into the Oval Office with the PDB that anything in there is legit? What I the PDB is the presidential daily briefing, the president's daily briefing, which, by the way, yesterday didn't get looked at until 11 a.m., which means half the day was already gone before the president got his daily briefing probably because he sleeps late and they have trouble waking him up. And after his medication kicks in, he can finally read the president's daily briefing. But let's continue. I said was... That intelligence is a mosaic. What if the mosaic, all the pieces are incorrect? What I said was intelligence is hard business and they get it right a lot too. Um, there were some pieces here that weren't accurate. And we're being nothing but honest with you and the American people about what those inaccuracies were and how they shaped some of the decision making that was laid before the president and, and his and the questions that he that he asked. This document and this effort it isn't about accountability today. It's about understanding. And I would also add that the as I said to Ed, the review process isn't over. This is this is the next muscle movement in what will be a long process to better understand and comprehend and adjust to what we learned and what we did in Afghanistan. In other words, we know we screwed up. We're starting now the process of trying to explain it away and come up with excuses and try and find reasons. And as usual, sooner or later, we're gonna find a way to try and blame our failings on Donald Trump and his administration because, well, that's what we do. So Peter Ducey jumps back in. It doesn't seem like after the country has had a couple months to review this and as the government has, people don't have an issue with the decision to order troops out of Afghanistan. It is with the way that this president ordered it done. There were children being killed. There were people hanging off of Air Force jets that were leaving. And you're saying that you guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? And before I continue, we all saw the videos. We all saw the people falling off of airplanes as they desperately tried to get out of the country during that hastily planned, poorly planned, if planned at all, last second withdrawal that left 13 U.S. service people dead 
and left hundreds of Americans behind enemy lines and left thousands of support personnel, people who put their lives on the line every day that happened to be Afghanistan citizens. We just simply told them, screw you, we're out of here. Does it mean of that? Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. Proud of the fact that American troops were able to seize control of a defunct airport and get it operational in 48 hours? You bet. Proud of the fact that we now have about 100,000 Afghans, our former allies and partners, living in this country and working towards citizenship? You bet. But does that mean that everything went perfect in that evacuation? Of course not. I've talked about it from a, di a different podium. The after action reviews are now being reviewed by members of Congress, which will lay out things that could have gone better. Nobody's saying that everything was perfect. Nobody's saying that everything was perfect. This caused massive death, but even more than the deaths. You and your administration gave a free country over to the freaking Taliban. You turned over a nation that was finally starting to see the fruits of democracy and freedom. Little girls being able to go to school and learn how to read and write instead of having to hide under blankets with candles being taught by brothers. You finally got to see women being able to be women and not walking sackcloths, having the freedom to get educated, get jobs, be more than just a sex slave in a baby factory for their disgusting husbands. You destroyed that in 48 hours. You took over an empty airport. It's not like you fought your way through a working airport filled with military people. You walked into an empty abandoned airport. You put some airplanes on a runway. You used some mobile air traffic control systems and some walkie talkies and you fled like a coward and showed the entire world that Joe Biden is a weak, ineffective, ineffectual, leader. You destroyed democracy for an entire country. And then you turned around and spent more money trying to defend a dictatorship called the Ukraine. And don't tell me it's not a dictatorship. Volodymyr Zelensky, immediately upon taking over, suspended all free communications, free speech. If you dare speak out against him, you can be killed right there in the streets. He took the media away from the people shut down the schools, and we are calling him a hero? That's how ass backwards the Biden administration is. But let's continue. We've got about another 15 seconds here. But there was a lot that went right, and a lot of Afghans are now living better lives in this country and other countries around the world because of the sacrifices and the work of so many American government officials. So yeah, there's a lot to be proud of, Peter. And you're wrong. There's not a lot to be proud of. There may be a few things to be proud of. Kirby accompanied the little French dip quota hire, Karine Jean-Pierre, at the White House briefing on Thursday. He faced a deluge of questions about the summary report on the Biden administration's decision-making in Afghanistan. The summary of the report, according to this article, tries to put the blame on Donald Trump, as I told you would happen. They claim the former president's dealings with the Taliban forced Biden into a situation of severely constrained options said that there was a plan left for Biden to execute his withdrawal, but that they were hampered by Mr. Trump. 
Of course, this subsequently led to the eruption of chaos when the U.S. scrambled to evacuate people as the Taliban began taking over control of the country as soon as they found out that Joe Biden the weak was going to be the president in the U.S. Of course, Peter Ducey, in his classic style, came out swinging. He invoked the report to ask Kirby, who's going to get fired over this? Kirby then says, oh, the report isn't about accountability. It never is when there's a Democrat in charge. It never is about accountability when the Democratic Party is in power. But to sit there and try and blame Donald Trump for his own failings? Joe Biden is truly a weak, inept clown. And you're listening to the Truth Hurts program. Let's call this segment A Tale of Two Stories. I'm reading to you an article from The Independent. Outrage as company publishes job advertisement for whites with a note saying, don't share with candidates. A job advertisement on Indeed has left people horrified after a company asked for only white applicants. The Dallas-based company, Arthur Grand Technologies, posted a job vacancy which asked for, quote, only born U.S. citizens, and then in parentheses, white, who are local within 60 miles from Dallas, Texas. The racial specification was not meant to be shared with the public, however, as parenthetic note next to the requirement read, don't share with candidates. Twitter user TK Finch noted the post and tweeted the CEO of the company, Warren Buffett. Mr. Finch wrote, looks like one of Berkshire Hathaway's vendors, Arthur Grand Technologies, has some problematic hiring processes. Discrimination on race and national origin reduce a company's competitiveness besides being a bad look. The company apologized on LinkedIn, saying, At Arthur Grand, we do not condone or engage in any type of discrimination based on race, color, or religion. Then they said, An investigation was conducted, which found a new junior recruiter was responsible for the offensive description and added that the employment of that recruiter had been terminated. Twitter users called the apology damage control. The company later posted an update emphasizing the job posting was neither authorized by nor posted by Arthur Grand or its employees and that necessary legal action had been initiated against the job poster. So it looks like they did what needed to be done to get rid of the person who posted that particular ad and life goes on, right? Well, there's always two sides to every story. Here's another article that goes the other way. Michigan Democrats job listing strongly encourages everybody but straight white men to apply. And this is being applauded. A Michigan Democrat member of Congress sent out a job listing strongly encouraging everyone but straight white men to apply. And this is being applauded in the minority and the queer community. The office of Representative Hillary Shulton, a Democrat from Michigan, put out a job listing recently for the senior communications director role in her office that would play an integral role in her office's operations. The listing reads, and I quote, the senior communications director is expected to work closely with the chief of staff, legislative director, district director, to develop and execute a comprehensive and aggressive strategic plan to inform constituents and the media on issues that are important to the Congresswoman. The job listing with a salary of $85,000 to $120,000 goes on to, quote, strongly encourage people of varying personal characteristics to apply except 
for straight white men. Here's the quote from the listing. We strongly encourage women and all individuals who do not identify as male, people of color, LGBTQIA individuals, people with disabilities, veterans, and members of other underrepresented communities to apply. Notice, no white men are encouraged to apply. No straight people are encouraged to apply. Ironically, the listing also includes a notice at the bottom claiming that, quote, all applicants will be considered without regard to race, color, religion, sex, including marital or parental status, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, age, or national origin. And they said that that's perfectly okay. But the other one? Evil. The double standard is alive and well, and you are listening to the Truth Hurts program. This weekend is about the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lord. Please don't make it about chocolate candy and fuzzy chicks and little rabbits. Don't make it all about a family picnic, a barbecue, a crawfish boil. Take a little bit of time and thank God above for sending his only begotten son to die for your sins. And that is all of the spiritual guidance I will give you. We're at the end of this episode, so go out there and have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next time on the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Happy Easter. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I apologize if you are offended, but I retract nothing. Background music courtesy of Jason Shaw and Audio Nautics. Copyright 2023, the Truth Hurts program network. All rights reserved. Mm-hmm.